0: With assistance, we learn from Abba Kamad at page 99. We begin on Tzadik page 98b, very last line towards the end of the line. So in the Gemara we had said that Rav Asi holds, that it's a concept of umen that if you give something to a craftsman, let's say some wood, he makes a box out of it. So now that he's created something new, so he's actually transferred the wood into his own possession, thus if he causes any damage to the box, he doesn't have to pay you back for a box that he damaged, but rather has to pay you back for the original wood that he had been given. So now, the Gemara says, Let's show you that this is true from a Mishnah. A nice and someone who gives wool to a person who is a dyer, who dyes wool. And the color of the wool got ruined, Rashi says on its own. So So all the person who was supposed to die has to pay back is the value of the wool alone. The, main summary, the indication is only the value of the wool but not the value of the wool plus uh, whatever it's gone up in value. The Gemara says perhaps we're talking about a case where it, when did the color get ruined? It got ruined after it had already been absorbed into the wool. That the wool had already gone up in value. From the fact that we see that he doesn't have to pay based on the current value of the wool but rather based on the original value of the wool so we can deduce that the craftsman has indeed acquired this wool as he was working on it. So, Gemara says, Amar Shmuel, Shmuel says, What are we talking about over here? You can't prove anything. Because I could just as well tell you that when did the color get ruined, it got ruined as it was being absorbed into the wool, the Leka Because then it hasn't gone up in value. And therefore that's why it's the pay based on the original value of the wool. But the indication that Gemara says, if let's say the the color gotten ruined after it had already been absorbed into the wool, my what's gonna be? like the Would it be that Shmu would hold that you have to indeed give him the value of the wool, along with the value that has gone up in value. Ravasi, so that would imply that Shmuel doesn't hold like Ravasi, who said that uh, an omen is kind of a Shabakli, that the craftsman indeed acquires it as he makes it better. And the problem is, as Rashi explains, that if Shmuel doesn't hold like Ravasi, so we always paskin, the halakha is always like Shmuel, so if we hold like Shmuel, that means we don't hold like Ravasi. Um so the so says, it could be very well that Shmuel indeed holds like Ravasi. what's the case of here? The case is where both the wool and the dyes belong to the person who's giving it over to the craftsman. And all the person that's coloring is is going to get paid is for his work of dyeing. But the dye itself doesn't belong to him so that's why Shmuel is saying that he's going to have to pay for the shevach, he's going to have to pay for whatever it's gone up in value, because the dye and the wool both belong to the person that's given it to him, so Gemara says, hold on, true, so it shouldn't be that he gives him the value of the wool along with the shevach, whatever it's gone up in value, he should be giving him the value of the wool along with the dyes that's what you should say, so Gemara says no Shmuel is not saying, not like Ravasi. he's not coming to contradict Ravasi. he's just coming to say that this brise isn't for sure an ironclad proof to Ravashi's statement, but he's not saying that it doesn't hold like him. Toshima, The Quran brings another proof If someone gives over his garment To a craftsman If he completes his work And then he informs the person Who gave him the garment That he's done Even if he takes 10 days To come pick it up And pay for it He's not going to transgress The prohibition Of not paying right away The Torah says That if you hire someone To work for you You must pay them On the same day that they work And if you don't You've transgressed this prohibition So in this case Where the craftsman Has not yet given back To the person who hired him So there's no transgression once the craftsman has returned it to the person who gave it to him now when the son says so he's going to transgress the prohibition if he has not yet paid him for his work now the Gemara says hold on and if Rav Asi is correct that the craftsman actually acquires the thing that he's working on as he makes it better so that means what's the understanding of what's happening I'm not paying you for your work but rather I'm paying you to buy back my thing. Baltolin. So, if that's the case, then how can there be a transgression if I don't pay you by evening of Baltalan of not paying a worker on the same day? Over here, it's not a worker, you're paying for the item. There's no prohibition if you have not paid for the item yet. Um, Rav Mari, Breder of Kahanas, so Rav Mari, of Kahanas is over, over here, but Garda de The case that we're talking about is where he's combing a woolen garment, the leka Shivcha, that it hasn't gone up in value. Meaning it's just an action that, that you're smoothing it out, you're softening the garment, and therefore, the garment itself hasn't changed. So the says, wait, In the end, all why did I give it to you? I give it to you to soften. it Once you softened it, it has gone up in value. So even though it hasn't changed, nothing has changed about this garment, but still it has been softened. And therefore it's gone up in value. And therefore it's considered it's transferred into your possession. Therefore I shouldn't have to pay as if I've hired you as a worker, but rather I should have to pay as if I'm buying it back from you. So the Almighty says, we do need it. That I hired you to press this garment, and for each pressing, I'm going to pay you a certain amount. Because it's comparable to where I'm hiring you, let's say per day or per hour, because when I'm hiring you per hour, so I'm not hiring you to complete the job, I'm hiring you to do a certain amount of work based on your hourly wages. So in such a case, so then I have to pay you immediately on the same, Day. So Soto over here, I'm not hiring you to complete the job, I'm hiring you to do a certain amount of pounding, and per pounding I'm going to pay you. So Rashi explains that that's comparable to Scurus, and therefore, if I do not pay you immediately on the same day that you've done the work, it's so not going to transgress the prohibition. Based on what we originally understood the case, the that he had not hired him for individual ironings, but rather he had been hired to complete a certain task, They actually would be a proof to something that Rav Sheshis says. The Bomi Nami Rav Sheshit ask the following question of Rav Kablonus, If let's say someone accepts upon himself to complete a certain task, and he's going to get paid for that. Does it also apply over there that one would have to pay him on the same day, and if he doesn't, he's going to transgress the prohibition or not? And what did Rav respond? respond? He said that indeed it does apply in regards to somebody Who accepted upon himself to do a certain job If he completes the job You have to pay him on the same day so our first understanding of the Bryce where we understood that it's talking about a case where he accepted upon himself to do some kind of work on the garment and he did, and there is a requirement that he pay him on the same day. So according to that first understanding, that would seem very nice. According to Revshesh, it would work out very well. So Mar says, Hold on a second. Lame the Ravshash's plea the Ravasi. Would it be that Revshesh would argue on Ravasi? Because Ravasi had said that the uman, the craftsman who gets it, so he acquires it, and therefore when he's paying him back, so it's considered like he's paying him for the item itself because it's been acquired by the person who Who's, who's working on it. But according to Rav Shishis, so he's not acquiring it because you're paying him for his work, not for the actual garment. So would it be that Rav Shishis would argue on Rav Azi? So Gemara says, we could say, Shmuel that when does Rav Shishis say that it would be required to pay him right away? He's not talking about where he actually took something and he made it better and he worked on it, but rather he's talking about a case where I sent a Shliach, a messenger to take a document or a letter and deliver it to a certain place. So there I'm not hiring per hour, I'm not hiring per day, but rather I'm hiring to complete a certain task. So over there, Rav Shishus is saying, since there's nothing to acquire, the uman, the craftsman, so to speak, the person who's, the messenger is bringing the, the letter to whoever it has to get to, so he hasn't acquired a thing, but nevertheless, he's not considered getting paid for a day or for an hour. Nevertheless, there's an obligation to pay him on the day that he completes it, and if one does not do that, so he would transgress the prohibition. Nadegemar says, Let us say that this discussion that we're having right now is actually an argument between different Tanoim. So a woman says to a man, I want you to make me some jewelry, here's some gold, and I will be married to you with the value of the work that you've done. Rebbe Meir. Rabbi Meir says That as soon as he's made them They're considered married The chacham The sages say They're not married Until money gets to her hands My mammon Which money are we talking about According to the sages That has to get to her hands If it means the jewelry itself We would be able to deduce That Rabbi Meir holds That the jewelry Does not have to get to her hands For her to be able to Consider married to him What's he marrying her with He hasn't given her anything It's clear It's obvious My mammon What does it mean that it has to get to her. Mama some other money. Everyone agrees. Yes, let Let's that when a person is getting paid for his work he's not getting paid at the end for the completed job but rather he's getting paid at each moment he's owed money and he can't marry her with that money because it's considered that she owes the money to him and you can't marry someone you can't give them money that they owe you that's not considered that's not enough for, to create a marriage love, perhaps. the argument here has to do with whether or not the person this craftsman this man who, who she wants him to marry her he, whether or not he's been able to acquire the thing that's the issue the Rebbe Mayer holds that as soon as he starts working on the gold that she's given him so he has acquired that jewelry and then when he gives it back to her so it's considered his and he's marrying her with it that now that he's working on it he has not acquired it it still belongs to her and therefore when he gives it back to her he can't marry her with it and therefore he has to give her some other money Says, no, that's not the understanding of the argument. The Kuli everyone agrees, Ein umen that in fact, when a craftsman is working on something, for instance, in this case, jewelry, so he has not acquired it with his work. We could say that this is the argument. How do we view the money that's owed to him? Is it that every single moment that he's working, he's owed separate money? Or no, perhaps it means at the end, so then he's owed all the money for all of his work. Rebbe Meir Sava, Rebbe Meir holds, Ein that the time that it's required for him to be paid is only when he completes the work and and he gives her the object that she was asking him to work on. So at that point, when he theoretically could have given it to her, it's not considered a milv, it's not considered that she owes the money, because he hasn't given it to her yet. So therefore, he can give her that value, and say, I'm marrying you with that value. The rabbon side of the sages, that the work, so as soon as he's working on it, so she owes him the money from the beginning until the end, and therefore it's considered a mil. it's considered a loan, and he can't marry her with that. And that's why he has to give her separate money. Via him, another possibility: the kuliyam yeshelus chirus mitchilu Everyone agrees that, in fact, the money is owed to him from the very beginning until the end. We can say that the argument has to do with whether or not you have the ability to marry her with money that's owed to you. The rebbeimayer says, the rebbeimayer holds hamikadosh bemilvav mekudneshes that you can indeed marry her with money that's owed to you. The rabbanon the sages hold hamikadosh bemilvav ein mekudneshes that you cannot marry someone with money that's owed to you, and therefore you have to give her separate money. Rav Amar we turned to tzadiktesh on the basis page ninety nine b. Rav says, the Another possibility is that everyone. Everyone agrees that when someone is working on something, he's getting paid, or he's owed money at every point in the time that he's working on the thing. <inaudible> and everyone agrees that if you try to marry someone with money that's owed to you, you cannot. <inaudible> everyone agrees that the woman, the craftsman, does not acquire the thing as he's working on it. <inaudible> what are we speaking about over here? <inaudible> that he actually added on something of his own, a jewel, and therefore so holds milva <inaudible> that when there's money that's owed to her, and there's Something else being added on, daita pruta. So her mind is also on the extra things. So therefore, when he adds on this extra jewel, so she's focusing in on the fact that she's getting this extra jewel, and therefore he can marry her with that. Rabban and and the sage told, milva daita milva. That this woman, when she sees that what's, he, what's she getting, he is being mochal. He's forgiving the amount of money that she owes, and he's also adding on a little bit extra, so she doesn't realize that she's getting married with a little extra. She thinks that she's getting married with the money that's owed to her. And therefore, that's a mistake. She can't get married with the money that's owed. And therefore, it won't work. So that's why the sages hold, they just give her separate money. It's a similar argument to the following tanoim. The of Let's say a man says to a woman, "I want you to be married to me with money that you owe me for work that I've done previously." In a it doesn't work. But if let's say he says, "I want you to be married to me with the money that you're going to owe me for work I'm going to do," then indeed it does work, according to the Tanakhama. Rabbi Nasan, says, "That if he wants her to be married to him with the money that he's going to do work for her soon, so it won't work." The came, certainly in a case where he says I want you to be married to me with money that I already was owed for work that I did for you previously Rabbi Anasi Rabbi Anasi says the MS, truth, they said, that either way, what we're talking about, the money that's already owed, or the money that's going to be owed, you can't marry, get married with that money. But if he added on a jewel of his own, a then it will be indeed married. What's the difference? What's the argument between the first tana and Rabbi Nasen? How do we view this payment that's going to be given to him? Is it considered that he's getting paid for each moment that he's working? I mean, he's owed money from the beginning until the end, and then it would be a milveh, be considered a loan, and you can't get married with a loan. Or perhaps, no, it's considered only at the end that the money is owed when he gives it back to her. So that's the argument. Being Rabbi and Rabbi it can be to the argument between Rabbi Nassan and Rabbi Hudanasi, HaNassi, milveh that if, if there's money that's owed, and there's an extra dollar that's added on, or there's an extra jewel that's added on, what does she have in mind? That she's getting married with the money that's owed, or the extra dollar, the extra jewel? If you have a person who is a professional slaughterer, and he ruins the animal, because let's say the animal moved around while he was in the middle of slaughtering, it was something that he should have noticed, he should have taken care of, so he has an obligation to pay for the damage. He's a damager, he's negligent. It's considered as if the person said, slaughter from this place, which is the proper place, and he ended up slaughtering from the wrong place. So the Gmar says, Why does he have to say a double, double way of saying it? He's a damager. He is negligent. <laughs> because if Shmuel had just said that he's considered a damager, <laughs> that's only where he's doing it and he's getting paid to do it. And there, if he ruins it, then he has to pay for the damages. <laughs> Let's say, I ask you to do me a favor to slaughter my animal and and then you damage it, like maybe there's no obligation to pay. That's what it's coming to say, it's considered a negligent one. asks the following question, If someone gives an animal to a slaughterer and he ruins it, if we're talking about a person who's professional, so then there's no obligation to pay. But if it's a regular person, it doesn't usually slaughter that much, so then there is an obligation for the regular person to pay. If the person is paying for the other person to slaughter the animal, so whether we're talking about a regular person Or a professional There's going to be an obligation to pay So Shmuel had said that no matter what There's always an obligation to pay Here we see that it's not always true So Shmuel responded and said Your brain is cloudy Meaning your, your question is not a good question So there was another sage that came Who was asking him the same question So he said to him You also take the response that I gave to your friend meaning you're not asking a good question I was telling you the shita, the understanding of the opinion of Rabbi Meir and you're asking me a question from the sages you have to be careful with the words that I'm saying who I said that he's uh, considered a damager he's considered a negligent person it's as if he said to him slaughter from one side and he slaughtered from the other side who's the one that holds of this concept it's Rabbi Meir, it's Rabbi Meir who holds that you have to be careful of any eventuality even if the animal moves around you got to be you got to be careful about that and therefore he has to pay now the Gemara says, "Hey, Rabbi Meir, which Rabbi Meir are we talking about that, that holds this way? If it's the following Rabbi Meir, the we that a If the owners of an animal tied it up with chains from and properly locked the gate in front of it, and nevertheless it went out and damaged, bein whether the animal is wild or not, Meir holds there's an obligation to pay. So we see that Rabbi Meir holds that a person is responsible for his stuff, responsible for the damages that he caused even if it's out of his control. So the Gemara says, no, that can't be the source because over there." there's actually Xeris HaKosov special verses that teach us that in that case. So it must be a different Rebbe we learned Mishnah. I hired you to color my garment red but instead you colored it black I hired you to color it black but instead you colored it red So Rebbe says you have to pay for the damage. So there we see that if a person has done damage he has to pay he's responsible for it. So more says no, that's different because I intentionally changed the color and therefore that's why I have to pay. It must be the following Rebbe Meir at the if someone broke his jug and he didn't take away the broken pieces from the public domain or his camel fell down and he didn't stand it up that there's an obligation to pay for any damages that are caused by those things his property he hasn't taken it away say there's no obligation in regards to what the courts can require him to pay but there is an obligation as far as the heavens are concerned and we've established that the argument has to do with whether or not the person who has tripped is considered at fault so basically according to Rabbi Meir so he holds that we don't view the person who tripped as being at fault and therefore so let's say the person who left his broken pieces of jug in the middle of the road so he says well why is it my fault, why do I have to pay for this damage, he should have watched out where he was going so that's not a tiny, he doesn't have that claim, so therefore we see that Rabbi Meir holds that in general the person who has caused damage, he's the one who's at fault and doesn't have so many claims that he can say and therefore in our case as well where the animal is slaughtered and he ruins the slaughter because the Animal moved around, so it's no fault of the person who's slaughtering. Nevertheless, we still say that there's a responsibility upon him, and he doesn't have so many claims that he can say. If you have a professional butcher and he ruins the animal, there's an obligation for him to pay. Even if he's a professional as great as the butchers of Tzipori I guess they were very good butchers. There was a story that happened with Rabbi Echanan where someone slaughtered an animal and he ruined it. in in a certain place. lays you and he said go. I see. Rabbi and he says to him, go bring me a proof that you are a professional in regards to slaughtering chickens and I won't make you have to pay. So we see that you don't have to pay if you're a professional. It depends on the person who's getting paid who's slaughtering. If the butcher is getting paid, so then he has an obligation to pay, even if he ruins it, even if he's a professional. But if he's not getting paid for his work, so then he doesn't have to pay for the damage that he causes. Like this thing that Rabbi Zira said, the person who wants a butcher to have an obligation to pay him, the so he should at the beginning pay him a little bit and this way he's already getting paid and therefore there's an obligation for the butcher to pay if he ruins it i you want to ask a question you're telling me that there's a difference if he's getting paid or not I'll show you that that's not true and let's say we have three different cases the first case is let's say I give you wheat in order to grind the wheat and you didn't soak it and you didn't take off the chaff and you made it that the flour wouldn't be very fine flour so you didn't do what I told you to do I give over flour to a baker and he made it into bread that, the, that it fell in it wasn't puffy bread or if I give an animal over to a butcher and he ruins the animal and he ruins the animal there's an obligation to pay because it's considered like he's getting paid so we see it's considered like he's getting paid but he's not getting paid so it seems like there's an obligation to pay even if he has not gotten paid the says, change the price and rather read it that the reason that there's an obligation for the person to pay for the damage that he caused is because he's getting paid there was a certain animal which had been slaughtered improperly. The It came in front of Rav. So first of all, he said it's not kosher, and second of all, he said that the butcher doesn't have to pay for the the destruction that was caused. So Rav Kahan and Ravasi they both met this guy whose animal it had been that had lost out big on this this whole deal. So they said to him that Rav did two things for him. My tarsing Mar says, what are these two things? If they meant that he, Rav had done two bad things to him, the boy should have said that it's kosher. Rabbi Yehuda, like Rabbi Yehuda holds, But nevertheless, that Rav had made it not kosher, like the sages. And the second thing was that even if it would have been like the rabbanan, that if Rav is going to say that it's not kosher, like the sages, so they should have at least said that the butcher has to pay for the damages. Is it permitted to say such a negative thing after someone comes out of the judgment? an When a person leaves a judgment and it wasn't a positive judgment for him, so one of the judges shouldn't say to the guy, "Listen, I actually had it. I had something positive to say for you." But the other guys, so they said the negative judgment of Alma. So what can I do? That there were actually greater amount of people who were saying negatively. Somebody who does this about him, the verse says that he's considered someone who's going as a gossip monger revealing secrets so it can't be that Rav Asi and Rav Kahana were saying such a negative thing so actually they were saying that, that Rav had done two favors for you first of all he didn't end up making you eat something which perhaps could have been forbidden not only that but he prevented you from having to take money that was not rightfully yours Itmar was stated in a Namura Idic statement Hamara, Dinar al If somebody shows a money changer a dinar a certain currency, he wants to know if this money is good money, if it's uh, not forged, he wants to know if he should accept this money from his friend. And the guy says it's fine, you can take it. it turns out that in fact the money was not good currency, it was a forged document or it's a forged coin. Tani so we have one record that says, Um If the guy was a professional, there's no obligation to pay. but if it's a regular person, there is an obligation. we have another Brasil that says bin Hadid, whether we're talking about a professional person or a regular person, hi, there is an obligation to pay. So Republic explains what's the difference between the two branches When we say that if a person is a professional that there's no obligation to pay, keep going, for example, these two people, they know coins so well that they never make a mistake. So in fact, what was the mistake over here? What, that they have no obligation to pay for? It sounds like they did make a mistake. They know all the coins that are out there, what's real and what's fake. However, they did Know yet that, that uh, there was a new coin that was being minted and that these had gone out of style, that they couldn't be used anymore. So, as far as them knowing professionally what's considered real, what's considered a forgery, that they know. But this mistake is a different type of mistake, and therefore there's no obligation for them to pay for that. <inaudible> there was a certain woman the dinner, Who showed a coin to Rabbi Chia was a professional He knew what coins were considered forgeries But were not And he says to her This indeed is a good coin The next day she came in front of him And she says to him I showed it to people of Amr And they told me that it's not a good coin But like quickly, I can't use it so says to her, Go switch it for her Give her a coin that's a good coin Because of a pink case and write into my notebook where I keep a and a tally of all of my business dealings that I had a bad business dealing. So what's the difference? Why in regards to Danhu and Isser that they have no obligation because they know they're really professional. He also knew his stuff very well. So why does he have to pay? So the Gemara says Rabbi Chaya da Ovad. Rabbi was doing beyond the letter of the law. Really, he didn't have an obligation to give her back the money. However, he took it upon himself to give her the money. We find that there's this concept of doing beyond the letter of the law, as Rav Rivyesef teaches us. The verse says you should teach to them. This is referring to teaching them Torah. Haderech, the path, what's this referring to? this is doing kindness. that they should go. this is visiting the sick. But in it, Zukfura. This is doing a kindness to someone if he's died to bury him. the action, This is referring to behaving in a way that is just. Ashir That they should do this teaches us that one should act in a way that's beyond the letter of the law